Hope you're doing well so far today. Uh, hope you've had a good morning and know that our classes were rolling this morning. I had a great time in, our, in the 40s class today as we are doing a companion study along with the things that we're doing uh, in our series here. And today we're going to jump into, uh, I guess, a part B of what we did in class. Um, and if you, we're going to continue in uh, with what we were already working on earlier today. But before we do that, I want to say, uh, let's, uh, let's pause right now. I want to I say something about what's happening tonight. Uh, we've got a really fun event happening tonight. Uh, I think it'll be fun. Um, I mean, I think it'll be good, but this is one of those things that will not only be good, it'll be fun. Uh, it'll be great to be here tonight, uh, where we have an area-wide worship thing uh, happening here at Central. We're playing host to several other churches that are coming to, with us uh, this weekend. Uh, to have worship here tonight. And we're primarily going to be singing and having prayer. Uh, that's it's not a speaker sort of thing happening tonight. Uh, come and be part of that. I know many of you are already signed up to do things like helping to host uh, and, and be greeters and work security and things like that for us today. Um, if you're not signed up for something like that, there may still be something that you can do. I don't know if, if, is the, if there's a group meeting today, but I'm sure that we can find you something to do. Uh, but besides that, man... Come and sing your heart out tonight, and let's just come and dedicate tonight to being a time of worship and being attentive to God's presence with us uh, tonight. It starts at 6.30, uh, okay, so uh, I think our greeters and security team, I think they may be gathering as early as 6, but uh, come, uh, come grab a seat, welcome people, be good hosts, uh, and let's, let's have a great time of, of worship tonight with our, our brothers and sisters across the city, Okay. We're in this study that is the mission and the story of God. And something that we've been saying, uh, said last week, and we're going to continue to say this, is that part of what we're at work doing in this study is giving ourselves a particular kind of tool. As you read scripture, you need different kinds of tools. You need a fully equipped tool belt to read scripture. And some of those tools are things like knowing the right questions to ask and knowing what kinds of things uh, can um, help you get a little bit more insight, knowing the context of whatever it is that you're studying, the book, what, ki what kind of book you're reading. All these things are different techniques and skills or tools that you learn over time to read Scripture well. One of the most important of those tools is having an idea about the big picture of Scripture. So what we're doing right now is we're working through this 10-part series of different phases of the story of God. And last week we began with creation and thinking about what it means for God to create the cosmos as a home for humanity and even broader, a home for life. God creates uh, the world and the cosmos in such a way that it sustains, it is a place full, teeming with life. And the first chapter of Genesis portrays that really well as God creates this universe that has all the things that are needed in it for life to flourish. Of course, the story moves on for that, though. And so this week, we want to talk about the corruption of creation. Now, I like the word corruption here. I know that a lot of times when people make lists of the way that they think about the story of Scripture, they would use a different word. What, what's the word that we normally use for this? Fall, right. 
um, not autumn, but the fall, um, the fall of, and normally the reason we use that is we're thinking about the fall of humanity, right? But I use, I like to use the word, corru- I think fall is a fine word, but I like to use the word corruption because it indicates that the story is not just about humanity. Because as these stories of the fall, okay, take place, it's not just humanity that is changed and shaped. It's actually that whole big cosmos that God has created. God's entire creation is affected by the sin of humanity. So it's not just a story about the fall of humanity. It's the story about how creation itself is corrupted and made to be a place that doesn't sustain life like it was supposed to. It now is a place where death holds sway. Normally, when we think about the story of the fall, we think about it exactly like that, the story of the fall of humanity. But the other thing that I want to say about that from a big picture standpoint is that what Genesis does, the opening, um, the opening book of the Bible is it doesn't just tell us a story of the fall of humanity. It tells us about the corruption of of creation in a series of stories. Corruption is an ongoing story. It's not just Adam and Eve ate the fruit, oh well. Okay, creation was all good, ate the fruit, everything was, and, and that's just the story, okay? But what happens in Genesis is from Genesis chapter 3 in the story where Adam and Eve take the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and death enters creation in this moment of rebellion against God, corruption continues to develop. It cascades from this moment. And in fact, some of the things that happen in that third chapter Not only do they continue in the fourth chapter, they intensify, they get worse. So the story that I want to use to talk about corruption, this second phase, instead of just thinking about the fall in chapter three, I want us to tell the story of Cain. The story of Cain and his brother Abel who died by his hand is a great place for us to enter into the story of the corruption of creation because it is a continuation. It, very, it illustrates very well how corruption is an ongoing story because in the beginning, in that, in that story where Adam and Eve uh, take the fruit, they begin to have a rupture in their relationship as uh, they start to be suspicious of each other. They they start to blame each other. And by the end of that story, God is even telling them how they're going to be contesting with each other. They're going to be wrestling with each other over power. By the time we get into the fourth chapter, we've somehow moved from there is struggle between humans to now we have actual Violence. Violence. Violence is an important part of the Genesis story. Because Genesis isn't just interested with abstract sin. Some kind of thing that we just kind of know theologically that humans have chosen to do something different than what God wants. And so that is 
just generally, abstractly bad. The story of Cain tells us, shows us, how our estrangement from God and from each other leads to violence. It leads to people getting hurt. The story, and I want us to read through this together real quickly, and we're going to um, pick up different elements along the way. But the story, and I've, I've, said, I've said this is the story of Cain because it really is centered on Cain. Uh, and let's, let's read this story. It's at the beginning of Genesis chapter 4 and uh, following. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now notice how we don't even get a story about what Abel's name means, right? Because he's only going to be here for a minute. We're only going to get just the story. is really It's really Cain's story, okay? There's very little here about what Abel actually has to do, but we do get a little bit. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, well then sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother's Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and anyone who meets me may kill me. And the Lord said to him, not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod 
east of Eden. This story has so much to say to us. And I love the artistry with which it is told in Genesis. There's so much of this that I think evokes such, uh, to me, such emotion in the story. For instance, the little note that like Abel doesn't say anything in the story, right? We hear Cain's voice. This is another reason why I say this is the story of Cain, because we don't hear Abel's voice. Abel is silent. We never hear him utter words. All we get from Abel is the voice of his blood crying out of the earth. Isn't that haunting? Isn't that a haunting image? Beyond that, I, 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 we get not just the cry of Cain, we get the cry of, or cry, the cry of Abel, we get the cry of Cain and his despair. Later on in the story, when, when he realizes the consequences of what he's done, and he says to God, this, what is coming to me is more than I can bear. Just evokes so much heart and so much emotion. See, Cain is the one who instigates the violence. But by the time the story is ended, Cain is the one who must suffer now. And he is the only murderer around. But he is afraid as he goes out into the world that he'll find another one. And that the thing, the very thing that he has done will return on his own head. This story is told so incredibly. It's, it's not just that God is going to inflict this punishment on Cain, even though he seems to think so. He seems to say to God, God, you're the one that is driving me away. But if you notice that the way the story actually tells it, what God says to, Aver, uh, to Cain is, now you are cursed from the ground because it opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it'll no longer yield to its strength. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now Cain says to God, God, what you've inflicted on me, my punishment, it's too much for me. You've driven me out. But that's not really what God said. God said, now because of what you've done, the ground has become your enemy. The ground which you used to love, what was Cain's occupation at the beginning of the story, right? Cain is a tiller of the ground. He works the ground. He's the farmer. He's the one in touch with the soil. And by the end, what God says is, that soil that used to give you its food, it has something against you now, Cain. Creation, which I, the creation which I made so that you could be provided for, that creation isn't going to give you the things that you need anymore because you fed it the blood of your brother. This is a story about how God's good creation, which was intended to sustain life, has become a place of death. Because humans soak it in blood. Now that story is going to continue on. This is really what leads up into the flood narrative. By the time that we get to the time of Noah, God says that the entirety of creation has been corrupted because of the violence of humanity. Because 
Humanity continues this process of soaking creation in blood. And by the time we get to the flood story, God says, I can't allow that to continue. We've got to do something different because humanity on its own continues to soak my creation with blood. See, corruption isn't just a story of something abstract that happened in the garden. That abstract thing becomes very concrete in the ongoing story of corruption that goes not just to Cain and Abel, but through Cain and Abel into the flood story. After the flood, we find that Noah himself and his sons are participants, not just in the story of creation, but they're participants in the story of corruption as well. Even Abraham, after he's been selected and God's story is moving in a new direction, even Abraham sometimes feels like Cain, like he is open to being killed by some of the people that he goes to. And so he deceives them and participates in the corruption of creation. Israel, which is selected for God's purposes in the world to bring about new life in the world, sometimes finds itself not being an agent of life, but being an agent of death. And the story of corruption rolls on and rolls on and rolls on. Now, thanks be to God, it's not the only part of the story. And the story that also flows through covenant and Exodus, these other chapters that we're going to get to very soon, that story is going to roll on as well. But the context of everything that's going to happen all the way down through the story of Jesus and on into our own story now in the church, the context of that is that that story is being played out not just in a creation that was intended for life, but in a creation that is soaked with blood. And don't we know that it's still true? That there is still something broken in the cosmos, in the creation, in this place which is our home, but which bears the marks of our violence. The important thing from all these stories, though, is that God won't allow that to stand. And that the story of corruption is not the last word in the story. Notice how even in this story of Cain and Abel, when Cain cries out and says, my punishment is more than I can bear. And I want to pay attention to this phrase for just a second, if you don't mind. Okay. And turn with, turn with me. This is Genesis chapter four. Look in verse 13 and following. Okay. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Verse 14, four, Genesis four, verse 14 says, today you have driven me away from the soil I shall be hidden from your face and I shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth and anyone who meets me may kill me. And I want you to notice that there's pretty there's three real distinct elements there, right? Cain is noting that now because of his violence, he has been separated from God. He has been separated from the creation, the, the, the earth, the dirt. And now he has to fear the rest of humanity too. 
And in reality, that is a continuation of all the things that Adam and Eve received at the, as a result of their sin. They, and, and as God deals with them after they've eaten the fruit, they recognize there's a, there's a recognition that there's going to be strife between them. So humanity is going to have a conflict. They are left, they're brought out of the garden. They had to hide from God, right? That's the way they perceived it. And not only did they do that, but they have the, in, in the last part of that, when uh, God speaks to Adam, he says, the earth will give you its food only by the toil of your hand, right? And notice that all of these things are intensified here, where Adam and Eve learn that there's going to be a power struggle and experience blame. Now Cain is in a place where he's going to have to fear for his life from other people. Where uh, Adam and Eve, or Adam is told that he's going to still receive his food, but it's going to be a harder, more laborious, toilsome process. Cain is now told that the ground just won't give him food at all anymore. And as Adam and Eve themselves perceive that they have a need to hide from God by the time Cain speaks here, he says, I shall be hidden from your face. What I've done is now such a thing that I have totally separated myself from you, oh God. So the story is not just continuing. It's escalating. It's accelerating. It's not just one domino knocking over one more domino. But like those big elaborate domino chains, sometimes one domino can be used to knock over two. And then that two becomes three and that three becomes 300 and that 300 becomes three million, right? And the dominoes are accelerating as the consequences of sin spread out into creation. And before long, it won't just be one person that dies. It'll be everybody. Death has momentum in the story. What is it that leads to that? What is it that leads to the place where humanity, which was founded out of the statement, it is not good for man to be alone in Genesis chapter 2? How do we get from there to Humanity must be totally afraid of each other and always live in fear of being killed, man. From it is not good for the man to be alone to humanity can't help but kill each other. I think this story gives us a clue to that, the story of Cain and Abel. I wish the story told us more of the reason why Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable and Abel's was. Man, it, that, is the one, that is one thing. I can't wait to ask the Lord about that one, <laughs> okay? Like, what, what, was, what, what was wrong with this, you know? The story doesn't give us much rationale at that point, but it goes on to tell us more. 
Notice that once Cain realizes that he is not accepted, why does he respond? At first, he begins with these emotions. He's very angry, it says. His face falls. His countenance fell. And that's what the Lord says to him. God asks him, hey, Cain, why are you angry? Now, who was it that he was angry with? Is he angry with himself for not getting the sacrifice together right? I don't know. Is he angry with God because he can't understand what God is supposed to be doing or, or not doing? Maybe he's as frustrated that he didn't get a reason as I am. But who is it that ends up receiving his anger? It's Abel, his brother. Now, the text doesn't tell us what Abel did to him. Maybe he did nothing at all. Or maybe he's just annoying. Or maybe he takes pride or somehow has some way of using the sacrifice thing as a way of sticking it to Cain. We don't know. It's not because the story ultimately in the way it's told, it's not about what Abel does, is it? It's about what Cain is doing with these responses. God says so clearly to Cain, Cain, you're, if, if you do well, you'll be accepted. You'll be accepted. If you don't do well, and he says this, sin is lurking at the door and it desires to have you. So there's this emotional stew going on inside Cain. And God says, Cain, be careful. Because right on the edge of this turbulent emotion that you're feeding, you're allowing to, to come up within you, right on the outside edge of that, is you taking a step that you won't be able to take back. That sin wants you. The personification of sin in this story is such a raw piece, isn't it? It's one of the things that cries out to me in this story. It, sin is lurking at the door and it desires to take him. And he says, Cain, that thing wants you so bad. And you better master it. You must master it before it takes this next step. Cain fails to do that. And instead, the response he gets, he doesn't have a response to God. But his response is to speak to his brother. Let us go out to the field. I think part of what this story is telling us, and again, it's a continuation of what happened in the Adam and Eve story. The story speaks to us of our tendency to blame other people for the bad things that happened to us. I mean, none of us do that anymore, right? Man. You ever have one of those days when you are just off? You didn't sleep well enough. You didn't eat good enough. Texas almost beat the tide, ticked you off. Okay, maybe not you. Okay, you guys got other things you deal with. All right. You're walking through the house. You're talking in that language, <laughs> that mysterious language of mumble jumble. 
It really doesn't even, it's not even English anymore. You're just like, kicking the dog as you walk by. Dog didn't do nothing to you. Somebody comes in, anything they say, your anger just goes to them, right? Because that anger, that, that, that just kind of dissatisfaction within you is wants somewhere to go. And anytime we can take the things that are negative inside of us and we can put them on somebody else, we will do it in a heartbeat, right? We'll do it in a heartbeat. Cain has this situation where God, some for some reason, God is not accepted as a sacrifice. We don't know anything about what's happened here, but it didn't have anything to do with Abel. Cain takes all that anger, and instead of directing his voice to God, instead of even directing his voice to his own self, he says to his brother, let's go to the field. And I think that, I, I, I just got to tell you, confessionally, I do that too, man. And I have some kind of thing going on inside of myself, and maybe something happened at work, or maybe something happened, you know, in the, in the traffic on the way home, or something happened in the grocery store, or, or something happened just in my own self. Something just, just doesn't, I don't, sometimes I don't even know what it was. Sometimes it doesn't feel like anything really happened. It's just, I just don't feel right. And if somebody messes with me in just that moment, and by messes with me, I mean something like they say, the most innocent little thing that just catches me backwards. And that anger can come out at them. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only person in this one? I didn't think I was. I've seen y'all do it. Okay. We tend to blame other people. And when we do that, instead of dealing with the stuff ourselves, it cascades the effect of sin. And instead of mastering it, we become mastered by it. We let it run the day. But the other thing I want to point out that Cain does that I think is so illustrative to us about the nature of this corruption, the force of sin in the world, is the question that Cain has the audacity to say in response to God. When Cain responds, when God says, God, uh, he, says, he says, Cain, uh, where is your brother Abel? And he says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And I think this question is what has to absolutely haunt us. He says it dismissively like it's his get out of jail card here. I don't know. I ain't in charge of him, right? Where's Abel? I don't know where he is. Where is he gone? Ironically, sometimes you'll hear people use this in that kind of dismissive way. Well, I'm not in charge of them. I'm not my brother's keeper. You know, and I wonder if we have forgotten sometimes that the voice that says this is the voice of Cain. We forget that this voice, this question, am I my brother's keeper, first of all, comes from the lips that speak towards violence. This question 
the dismissive attitude that comes with it is a way of justifying the things that we do to other people. That's what its function is in the text. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Leave me alone, God. I don't have anything to do with him. Second thing that I think is so, so important about this question, okay, is it is a denial of how intertwined we are together. He says this as if he doesn't have anything to do with Abel whatsoever. But the reality is, the reality is that the answer to this question that Cain assumes is such a no, the answer is that this question really indicates that he was responsible for his brother. He was supposed to be his brother's keeper. And instead, he has become his brother's killer. This question demands a yes. And as we think about what the ongoing story of corruption must be, I want to challenge us as a people, as a church, to recognize that we are the people who must take this question, am I my brother's keeper? And we must be able to answer yes. We must be able to say to that voice inside us that sees a brother struggling and says, well, am I responsible to him? We must learn to say yes to that voice that says inside of us when we see a sister struggling and says, am I my sister's keeper? We must be a people who will be willing to say yes. Yes, I have obligations, responsibility to my brother's and sisters, part of what this story has to tell us is that when we see ourselves as being alone in the world and it is being all about us, am I, is it about me? Am I my brother's keeper? At the moment we separate ourselves from our brothers or our sisters and we say, it is just about me. We have gone wrong on this. And I'll tell you, ironically, Sometimes we look at this story of the corruption of creation and we call it the fall and we think it's just about this abstraction of sin. And then the story will go on to say, how will God deal with that sin? Will he save me? Because I am a victim of this sin. I have a person who sins, right? I'm a person who has sin. And so how will God deal with that with me? And as long as the story of sin and redemption is just about me, then I'm still in the place of Cain. It's not about me, it's about us. It's not the story about how did I get into the place or now I have consequence for sin. It's the story about how did creation and me as a part of it, how did I become corrupt is how did we become corrupt? How did we get ourselves into this? So that we start saying to God, well, God, that's not my problem. God, that's not my problem. Me, me, me. God, what are you going to do for me? Because the story that's going to go all the way from here isn't just, it's, it's never just about me. It's an us story. 
and the church as a people, it's not just about what am I doing to fix me? Sometimes when you come to church, I think, you know, I don't even have to say this right. Sometimes you walk away from church and people will say, well, what did you get out of that? Or you think you train yourself. Why did I get out of that? What did I get out of that today, right? And the, the whole thing about you coming to church, it may not be about you. It may not be about what did you get out of it today. It's like, it's about what is God making us? What is God creating among us? We need to learn to recognize more and more that it's not a me story. It's not an I story. It's an us story, a we story. It's God's story. And how God is redeeming not just me. God is redeeming us. And not just even just us. God is redeeming us. So that the people that I learn to recognize as my brother or my sister becomes broader and broader and broader and broader. As long as we are people who are willing to look at those around us who suffer violence and say, I have no responsibility for that. I'm not my brother's keeper. And we still sit in the place of Cain. This story challenges us to look at his question and know from the depths of who we are that whenever we hear that voice that says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? That the answer to those questions is definitively yes. And like we've said so many times as a people, we've, we said it over in the Sermon on the Mount series all the time, as we, as we seek to follow Jesus together, the city around us needs people who will hear that question about who's gonna be the keepers. And the city around us needs us to say yes, yes, yes. And the old word is, the old Greek word that you know, and I know I'm telling a Hebrew story today, but you know what the church said? when they wanted to say yes? You know what the church says when it wants to say indeed or truly or that's true? Well, the old Greek word is one that you've known. You say it all your life after you get done saying a prayer. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say as a preacher this morning is church, can I get an amen? Because <laughs> the city 
needs people who respond to God's call and hear, hear the voice that says, will I be my brother's keeper? And says, amen, yes, indeed. Let's pray together. Oh God, in this city, here in Little Rock, we know that there are the voices of a lot of Abel's that cry out from the ground here. Oh God, how haunting to think of the victims of violence in our city whose blood still cries out to you. And oh God, what was it like for you to hear in all the earth, the victims, the blood of the victims crying out from the earth? Think about the situation in Ukraine. There's so many voices crying out to you from the earth. Blood soaked into creation. And oh God, would you heal this corruption? What you have begun in Jesus and are continuing in your spirit, would you bring it to completion so that the voice of corruption can be finally met by a voice of redemption? And, oh God, inasmuch as you have created us to be an amen people, a yes-saying people, would you teach us to be agents of redemption in our community so that people may know that you have not given creation up to its corruption and that you are still present and are still a God who gives life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.